Welcome to another episode, everybody, of the Last of Us Nerds podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jacob, joined as always by my good friend, Tom. For those of you returning, we're excited to have you back with us once again. For any new listeners, this is a spoiler-free weekly podcast recapping HBO's The Last of Us. Tom and I are passionate fans of the game that are bringing that love to this podcast as we offer deep dives into each episode compare it to the game, and just talk about something we both care deeply about. Again, though, this is a spoiler-free, or this is spoiler-free, so those of you that haven't played the game won't be in any danger now. Let me uh, welcome in Tom, have him explain to you the format of each episode. Hello, hello, Jacob. So, like always, the vast majority of this podcast, like Jacob said, is going to be completely spoiler-free. We're not going to give any hints as to what's going to happen in future episodes, Um, We're not going to give anything away regarding any character's fates or anything like that. Um, But we are going to be talking in depth about details we know from the game that have to do with this section of the story and specifically what happens with this episode. We're going to do a lot of comparing and contrasting. We're going to break down the changes we liked, any changes we didn't like. But mostly we're going to be talking about the story and what's actually happening in this episode. As we go along, we might chuck out a Molotov hot take or apply a crafting upgrade if we want to nitpick and try and improve some parts of the episode. And then at the end, we're going to have some awards to give out, such as the best video game moment of the week, uh, the best uh, video game moment brought to life from the game, um, the best change, and the MVP of the week. Uh, Again, follow us on Twitter, everybody. Uh, We are at TLOU Nerds on Twitter. And we need more Twitter followers. We're desperate. We need them. No, we're not desperate. But we know plenty of people are listening to the show and not following us on Twitter. So we are judging you if that is the case. It's a great way to interact with the show. Give us a shout. Give us a mailbag. Um, And again, I would ask kindly for those five-star reviews, especially on iTunes. It helps tremendously. Um, We got what's probably my favorite review that we've gotten so far from Big Larry from Worcester. I think is how you say that. The town in Massachusetts. Uh, it says, this is the best Last of Us podcast. This podcast is a love letter to both the original game and the HBO show and the ways they intersect, differ, and improve upon one another. Tom and Jacob both display a rare level of knowledge and passion for the original game and do an incredible job of catching little things that even I, someone who's beaten the OG game probably close to 10 times, miss, and the implications of those details for both the TV show and the way they'll remember the game, all without any spoilers for the vast majority of the show. I can't recommend this podcast highly enough for both game players and people who are just checking into the show. HBO needs to hire these guys for season two. Jacob, the people, the masses are demanding that HBO brings us on to help them adapt part two. What do you think? Craig, Neil, I know you guys are listening. Uh, you are part of our uh, rabid growing fan base. So, Of course. Look, we'll be low demand and we'll come in. And if you guys just want to hire us, we will uh, happily take the position. Slide into those DMs, Craig and Neil. We, <laughs> we welcome it. are open. <laughs> For sure. Um, obviously, the last of us left behind. Jacob, what uh, would you think of this episode? Man, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was... I've been trying to think of the right way to word this in terms of adapting the game to the show. This might be my favorite so far. This felt and looked almost exactly like the video game in so many ways. There was a lot of stuff that was just straight from the game 
there were large chunks of this that they didn't even change. We talked a lot on last week's episode that there was a lot that they did change. This week was quite the opposite. There's very little stuff that was different. And anything that was really was kind of subtle. You might be able to speak to, to some of the differences better as you played the DLC this weekend. But the other big thing was the cinematography in this episode was incredible. Uh, all the so many scenes in the mall were amazing. The merry-go-round, the the mall lighting up, which was actually VFX, but the mall lighting up in that scene was awesome. I, I absolutely loved this episode. So one thing we should probably explain, especially to the non-gamer audience, is the fact that this game is based on the DLC of The Last of Us, which if you're not a gamer, what DLC means is it's downloadable content. Basically what happened was The Last, the Last of Us came out People played through the full story, and then I forget how, exactly how many months later it was. This came out, and it's additional. Hey, if you like The Last of Us and you want more, you can purchase this additional content um, for, it was probably like 20 bucks, I think. Uh, and you got this whole backstory with Ellie as it was intersected with her searching through a Colorado mall to find a first aid kit to, to help sew Joel up. Um, so... A lot of this is happening, of course, all of this is happening after people know how The Last of Us season one ends. So that's obviously a different part of this experience. It's it's you know, it's it's definitely asking some of the audience to put pause on Joel and Ellie's adventures and go back in time to learn all this information about Ellie and this backstory. Um, I'll say Ellie found the sewing kit much easier in the show. Uh, than she did in the game. You have to kill a whole bunch of dudes uh, as you're trying to escape this mall and infected. And some of actually the hardest encounters in the whole game, which kind of kicked my ass uh, this weekend as I was trying to beat it. Um, but yeah, and it, it it certainly is one of the most notable examples of story downloadable content, I would say, in video gaming history ever. Um, you learn so much from it, you learn obviously that Ellie is gay. That's a big part. Um, Ellie's probably one of the not not probably she is one of the most iconic LGBTQ video game characters ever, and you find that out in Left Behind. Um, and I would say one of the biggest talking points, at least that I've seen of this episode, um, from people that have not played the game, and and certainly from a couple of people that I've talked to, is just like okay, like that episode was good. But hey, like time's ticking. We got we only have two more episodes left now to finish this whole thing. And I just want to take a, a moment, to, moment to just sort of talk about like why this episode was worth it. And obviously a lot of it has to do just with Ellie and learning more about her. We learn about Ellie's loss and especially coming on the heels of that conversation with Joel last week. You know, and, and them talking about losing people and, and grappling with what they now mean to each other. Partially because of that, uh, I thought that was very important. In a way, this sequence of events that we get in Left Behind is really what kicked off this whole story and this whole adventure of Ellie getting bitten and her losing someone that she loved and becoming immune, obviously. And just like Sam, another example with Riley is it just it further amplifies and draws attention to the stakes for their mission and for this vaccine of if they can, if they can get this vaccine, if they can get it to work, uh, it's, it's just amplifies the stakes of that tremendously and, and how important that is. 
Yeah, and like you said, I, I think the important part is during last week's episode and that specific conversation, Joel saying you have no idea what loss is. If you take that and look at this week, this shows Ellie very much knows what loss is. Look, I sympathize with the people who are like, there's two episodes left. Let's do this because this isn't the order you experience it in the game. You play through the game and then you play the DLC. You don't hit pause after or when we did on last week and then go play the DLC and then come back. So I fully understand why people want to hurry along. But also it was interesting this week to experience it in this order because that's I mean, it's simply not something i've done we knew that this inserted into this timeline right here and as you said see she's searching through a mall to to find a first aid kit to help joel so like we knew it happened here but to experience it in this order i think it made it a little bit more impactful in a lot of ways because of what of what i said about kind of that conversation you have no idea what loss is but then comparing what happens with her and riley and what she's trying to avoid happening with her and Joel. So it was a fantastic episode. It was one I'd been looking forward to for a really long time. I'd mentioned it a couple times in the spoiler section. There were a lot of allusions to Riley uh, during this series. We mentioned them in the spoiler episode. If you think back, um, episode two, I believe, where Tess is like, is a boyfriend going to come chasing after you? and Ellie kind of pauses and says, no, we know why now. Uh, episode three, when she finds the arcade game, which we'll talk about, I believe, later on. But that's obviously a throwback to this as well. There's just been various moments throughout where they've kind of alluded to this. And it's made me more and more excited for it. It lived up to the expectations. This was a really fun episode. For sure. But uh, Jacob, the haters are furious because... <laughs> Uh, And there's always going to be a section of the internet that uh, reacts this way. But obviously a big part of this episode, it's a teenage gay love story. Um, As I mentioned, uh, Ellie's gay and that comes straight from the game. And that is central to who she is, obviously. But this episode, I I thought Mason did a really good job of talking about this on the podcast of the, the terrifying anxiety that these teenagers can experience of just like, does she feel the same way? And, and talking about how amplified that is for people that are not heterosexual, because th- this fear of rejection is multiplied by a fear of rejection of your whole identity of n- not only what if she doesn't like me, but what if like, oh, uh, like, oh, like you're gay and, and just reacting that way. That has to be just so, so terrifying. And obviously both characters were going through that over this whole episode. And we also have to keep in mind, you know, who knows what the 2023 apocalyptic world in like how they view gay people. 2003 certainly was a lot different from today. Uh, and who knows how that would have even progressed in, in a different world like this. But also I uh, just want to give a, another quick shout out to our, our boy Gustavo uh, on the score. This had the, and, and it re- reminded me how much I love this theme going back and playing the game this weekend. The the theme is like, do, 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 do. I don't know. I assume it's just like called off behind. I didn't actually check what the track title is, but it's a piece of score that is that was unique to the DLC. And it was cool that they were able to bring this back and they 
brought it back at the very end in a very emotional, heavy way as she's sewing uh, Joel up. But love that score. I love Gustavo. Love the episode. I was really floored by this. I, I, I certainly was hopeful for this episode and thought that it could be really good in this adaptation. But I would say Left Behind is maybe not I think it was an iconic piece of DLC, but it's probably not as filled with iconic moments as a lot of the rest of the story overall from playing the game. And I thought they they picked and chose the moments to adapt uh, very well. And overall, just I thought it was a great episode. I want to make one more point before we dive into this, too. Talking about like DLC and everything, typically with DLCs, they don't involve such a vital part of the story like we learn a lot about ellie here it's typically not how it goes so not just that we learned a lot about ellie but like or excuse me not that just ellie's involved it's typically kind of side stories this would be something almost like the bill and frank episode where it's like it's cool little details but it's not integral to the plot in any way um not just she's involved, but as much as we learn about her is was also surprising. And it's one of my I, I really enjoy rewatching it because you, you play this whole game and. I There's not really any suggestion that she's gay, and so it's always a, a fun little like I remember being like happy and smiling when when that moment comes where her and Riley kiss at the end. So. I always enjoy rewatching it and seeing everyone's reactions because it's it's typically the same. Just this is not a show with a lot of happy moments, and certainly that one isn't is pretty immediately followed by a sad one. But uh, I do enjoy kind of rewatching that aspect of it and just seeing there, there's a lot of happiness and joy in that moment that I, I'm glad that we experience in this episode. And also, and obviously we've talked before about how many Let's Plays we've watched of people playing this. Uh, I've watched several people that were gay or LGBTQ. And the the moment of realization when they realized that Ellie is gay and where the story is going and how their face would just light up every time when that would happen um, was really special. And just another example of what we've been talking about of why representation is so important and why this story does a good job of it. Cool. So part one. Fedra school in suburban wintry Colorado. Before we get to Fedra school, Ellie has pulled Joel to shelter inside a house and is attempting to stop the bleeding from his wound. Joel tells Ellie to leave him to die. Take the gun, go North to Tommy who he knows will help keep Ellie safe. Flash back to Boston about three weeks before Joel met Ellie at our favorite educational institution, the Fedra school for orphans. Ellie is running laps on what we have to assume is the equivalent of gym class while listening to Pearl Jam's All or None on her Walkman. Bethany, a much taller bully, snatches Ellie's Walkman and tells her to pick up the pace so they don't have to run doubles again. And Bethany reminds Ellie that her friend, who's Riley, uh, is the one who fights, not her, and taunts Ellie about Riley not being around anymore. Ellie punches Bethany in the face, gets a black eye herself, but we learn that Bethany got put in the infirmary with 15 stitches. So I guess Ellie does have some fight in her after all. Ellie is called into the office of Captain Kwong, a Fedra officer presumably in charge of the orphanage, and a man who, by all appearances, actually seems very kind, empathetic, and encouraging. He seems to have a soft spot for Ellie and asks her what's going on. Ellie has never been well-behaved, but she's been remarkably less so the last few weeks, a timeline we later learn that coincides with Riley's disappearance. 
You're smart, Ellie. You're so smart, you're stupid. Kwong lays out the two options Ellie has as he sees them. Keep acting like a grunt, and she will be a grunt, a Fedra soldier with shitty jobs and hours and living situation. Or she could get her shit together and become an officer, which would mean her own room, a nice bed, good meals, not going on patrol, staying warm in the winter, cool, excuse me, staying warm in the winter, cool in the summer, uh, and being able to tell the Bethany's of the world where to shove it. In short, a much better life than most get in this world and not too shabby of a deal. Kwong emphasizes that he cares because he believes Fedra truly is the only thing keeping Boston from starving and killing itself, and they need smart, capable kids like Ellie to turn into leaders. We don't get enough information here to find out if Kwong is in charge of the school curriculum, but I still have some questions for him. Uh, But Ellie gets the lesson. She consents to getting her shit together and gets her Walkman back. Back in her room at night, Ellie sits reading Savage Starlight, the comic book she bonded with Sam over in episode five. And she stares at the empty bed on the other side of the room that used to be Riley's. At about 2 a.m., Riley sneaks into the room, scares the crap out of Ellie in the process of waking her up, prompting Ellie to almost stab her. And Riley reveals that she has joined the Fireflies and urges Ellie to come sneak out with her for what she says will be the best night of her life, which it will be until it isn't. Start off at the beginning of this where they... Uh, end the week-long suspense that I'm sure a lot of you have or had and show Joel is alive, which is something we weren't sure how they would go about it with this episode. You could have pretty easily not shown the present-day part of this, used this as a full flashback episode, kept it as a cliffhanger, but they choose right away in the opening seconds to show that Joel is still alive and there's a the brief conversation where he's telling her to leave to go back to Jackson. It's not a conversation we get in the show or excuse me in the game, but it's it's an interesting one but it more than anything I think the uh big moment in that kind of present day part was Joel's tear as Ellie starts to walk away and realizing he he did fail her because in that moment he thinks he's a goner. He's accepting that he's a goner and telling her to go go back to Jackson and survive there. What do you think of the decision not to leave us hanging for another week as to whether Joel was alive or not? Yeah, so we... Like you said, we suspected maybe they would because we knew this episode was primarily going to be based on Left Behind. And also because there's a moment in the game where it reveals that Joel is it survived the wound um, that we thought maybe would be a good way to replicate uh, resolving that cliffhanger. Uh, we're not going to get into what that is because we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. Um but yeah, I, I I think it makes sense, and I think it ended up very being very powerful the way that they intersected the left behind plot with time wise. It's it really mu- it must be only like five minutes of screen time that mm-hmm. is happening in that house, but it it tied it all together very nicely. I thought, especially at the end, which we'll we'll get to when I turn into a puddle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I thought all that was great. Uh, there's this gym scene where Ellie's listening to Pearl Jam, All or None, which if you look at the lyrics, he's talking about it being a hopeless situation and 
to me, it's it's very easy to read into it. Of it's it's about someone that loves someone and isn't sure if they're ever going to love them back. Obviously, that's a big part of what's happening with uh, Ellie and Riley in this episode of just their uncertainty and and fear surrounding that. I uh, found it interesting that Bethany says she's not running doubles again because of Ellie's shitty attitude. So I, I guess she's just she's really just uh, being lazy these last few weeks and and uh, uh, everyone around her is probably suffering the consequences of that. We also learn, add another note to the Fedra curriculum, they teach you how to run away from zombies. That's uh, everyone running in circles there, I guess, to improve your cardio so that when you're being chased by the infected, you uh, can get away. So they, we probably should make a running list of this. We know they teach you about Detroit. We know that they teach you how to run away from infected. Just the important things. Yeah, day one was how to run. Uh, day two is uh, teaching you about all the cities in Michigan. Uh, they do, but, th- but they're not going to go over how to swim, how to operate a vehicle, different types of infected, how long infected last. Basic first aid, none of that. Ellie, no. uh, we'll get to that, but Ellie doesn't seem uh, confident at the end of the show in what she's doing. So none of the vitals, but she knows where Detroit is. All right, let's talk about this scene with Captain Kwong. Um, this is definitely not in the game. The Left Behind Riley uh, timeline basically starts with with Riley waking Ellie up. So we definitely don't get this background of the federal school. We don't get this character who is very uh, empathetic and seems to legitimately care about the kids and, and specifically about Ellie. Um, I was wondering if this was good, if they were going to name drop this guy as Winston, who is the only Fedra officer that is named, I believe in the game who is, we just know that he's a, a, someone that Ellie and Riley got along with that taught them how to ride horses. That's really all we knew uh, from the game. So I was wondering if they were going to name drop Winston, but we just know this guy's name is Captain Kwong. Uh, In my head, his first name is Winston though. So that's my head cannon, but they do a really good job here of obviously humanizing Fedra. This guy clearly believes what he's saying. Yeah. I mean the, the line specifically, we're the only ones or we're the only thing holding this together uh was notable and to a certain degree there might be truth to it we'll talk more about the fedra versus firefly debate that ellie and riley have later but it it was an interesting look at kind of humanizing fedra look all i'm saying is if you give me two choices between who to run uh a qz this guy or kathleen i'm taking this guy okay (laughs) kathleen is very low on the power rankings she did she had a tough stretch there um but I, I really love this interaction. I love showing someone that sees the potential in Ellie and it, it's, you know, probably not someone that Ellie's super close with, uh, obviously, but someone that is able to identify what we all see in Ellie, which is she's, she's a good person. She's smart. She's clever. She's cunning. Uh, she has a lot of those traits. One little Easter egg, Kwong's keys. I'm pretty sure had like a naughty dog logo on them. Naughty yeah. dog is the studio that made the game. Um, one note he 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 mentions the ways that Ellie could die, and he mentions getting her hair caught in a moving tank tread. That is overly specific. That either happened or he has a <laughs> he has a he has a, a imagination that is suspect. But I'm guessing that happened to someone, and that's that's tough. That's a tough way to go. Of the many ways you could die in a post apocalyptic world, 
that is really high on the list of the worst ways. Uh, that would be horrific. And as you said, oddly specific to the point that that absolutely had to have happened. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't, I don't want to see that scene. I don't think <laughs> we can end the flashbacks in the, the Boston QZ at that. We don't know to eat, need to go any uh, previous than that. But I, and then obviously the the big character. Uh, I don't want to say backstory, but just the tidbit that we get that lends some insight into Ellie's psyche at the moment is we we learn obviously she's acting out because Riley's gone. And goes back to that central fear that Ellie has of being abandoned and being left alone. And she clearly has abandonment issues. And Ellie up and vanishing and or Riley up and vanishing and not knowing where she was obviously had a big negative impact on Ellie and led to her. Uh, I don't want to say it was a breakdown, but obviously she was acting out uh, violently. Apparently she got sent to the hole, which we don't really get more details about other than we just know it's a place that they go to punish people and you go in the hole and apparently that didn't work. Uh, but thought that was of note. When you refer to something as the hole, it's typically not a place that's full of pillows and blankets and it doesn't fun. sound great. No, it's it's typically uh, not a great place. There were a lot of Easter eggs in Ellie's room that uh, were placed throughout. You have a Will Livingston pun book, uh, presumably volume one. Uh, you have obviously Savage Starlight that she is reading uh, while she's sitting in bed, kind of halfway reading. Uh, you ha- if you look at the posters on the wall, there's lots of them. A lot of them are pretty small. The notable ones are obviously the big moon poster right beside her. And then there's various rocket ships, uh, both by her bed and by her desk, uh, which is harkens back to last week where she said she wanted to be an astronaut. Um, the Mortal Kombat poster on the wall, that is relevant later on in the episode. And the AHA tape, you hear the song Lean on Me, or uh, Take on Me, Take on Me, excuse me, a little later in the episode as well. So a lot of little Easter eggs if you pause and look around in Ellie and Riley's room during that scene. Anything you want to say on this part before we get to their date night? Let's go look at the uh, four wonders, five wonders, I guess, of the mall. Yep. Part two wonders. So after sneaking down an alley, uh, Riley and Ellie climb seven flights of stairs, not two, Riley, and find the body of a man that had killed himself by mixing pills and liquor. Riley says he was not there yesterday. Ellie grabs the liquor before the floor caves in under the man and they each take a few swigs. Riley tells Ellie how she became a firefly, impressing a woman that we can infer was Marlene and telling her what she thinks of Fedra, that they're fascist dickbags that should be getting hanged for their crimes. And it was as simple as that. Ellie isn't so sure that the Fedra bad firefly is good dynamic is that simple. Echoes some sentiments from Kwong that he had made earlier about Fedra being the ones holding everything together. But rather than continue to argue, Riley leads Ellie onward as they jump across rooftops. After a couple of traded jabs about propaganda bullshit from both sides, Riley announces they are at their destination, the mall. You know, as, as Tess put it, the sealed up and boarded up mall that no one is supposed to go in ever mall. That mall. That's the one they're going in. Riley has Ellie go to a great spot to observe as the power turns on and the mall comes to life and a look of wonder fills Ellie's face. Riley tells Ellie that she will show her the four wonders of the mall. And Ellie melts. You planned stuff? 
Aha's take on me plays as Ellie is amazed by the escalator. So now there are five wonders. Ellie te- or Riley teases Ellie in front of a Victoria's Secret shop, saying that she was trying to imagine her wearing it. They laugh it off, and then Ellie examines her reflection in the store window. Riley asks Ellie to close her eyes, and if she trusts her, with my life, apparently, and takes her by the hand to the first of Riley's planned wonders, a carousel or merry-go-round. Riley turns it on, and Ellie loves it. They take a few more drinks, and Ellie asks Riley if she really thinks they could liberate this place. Riley says it has happened in other QZs, and places have been restored to the way things are supposed to be. Shh, no one tells her what happened in Kansas City. And Ellie asks Riley to stay. Bought into the vision that Quan, excuse me, that Quang had pitched her. They could be running things and make them better. You could be running things, Riley corrects her, revealing that Quang had given her the assignment of sewage detail, standing guard while people shovel shit. That's what they think of me, Riley says. She panicked and she ran away without telling Ellie, but tells her she was the one thing that she missed from that place, which does make Ellie smile. On to the next wonder, the photo booth. The machine asks for $5 and Riley is prepared. She hasn't done this before, but she tells Ellie she was waiting to do it with her. The photos don't print out with great quality, but there's one that isn't quite bad, and Riley gives it to Ellie. The third planned fourth total wonder is a fully functioning video game arcade. Riley even spent an hour yesterday breaking open the coin machine so that they would be able to play anything that they want. And Riley leads Ellie to one particular game, Mortal Kombat 2, a game they've clearly known about and have dreamed of playing together, as there was a poster of it back in their room. Riley wins as Melina and shows Ellie the fatality that Ellie had described to Joel in episode three, where she swallows you whole and bars out your bones. Uh, and the camera slowly and ominously pans over to a doll shop where an infected that had been growing into the wall awakens. There's a lot to talk about in this section. I want to just start kind of general, though, with Ellie and Riley's relationship. Ellie is a very uh, strong-willed, I guess, person. You have to have a very specific type of personality to be best friends with Ellie. And Riley has that personality. You can see it just sprinkled in throughout their conversations when she first uh, surprises her or attempts to surprise her. uh, She tells her, I have a a request first you have to say no then you have to say yes because she knows exactly what ellie's response is going to be when they jump down the ladder hide from the guards uh, they reference a 7-eleven situation and ellie's saying she wants to keep her other eyebrow in one piece which uh, was (laughs) a source of debate as to what led to the scar on one of her eyebrows that you can see after she says that uh, dating back to the game, it was a, a people wanted to know. So there was a little sprinkle for you. We don't know what the 7-Eleven situation is, but we certainly have some backstory now. Uh, I, I think my favorite line to kind of sum up Ellie and Riley's relationship, though, is Riley saying, it's OK, you don't know everything. And Ellie saying, agree to disagree, because Ellie is that's kind of exactly what she wants to know is everything. She has questions for everything. She needs to know everything. I loved that little interaction between the two, but you can see 
to be <laughs> to be Ellie's friend, you have to be assertive enough to kind of make Ellie do things. You can see it when she wants her to go watch the lights turn on. She's assertive enough to demand that Ellie go do it, but also caring enough to know how much Ellie will like it watching those lights turn on. So I loved the interactions between the two. Um, it that that was a uh, a perfect uh, Storm Reed. I was trying to make sure I got her name right. Storm Reed did a great job as Riley this week, and it was a, it was a tough ask to to play alongside Ellie and Bella Ramsey, but she did fantastic, and you can see it sprinkled throughout. Yeah, I mean, and obviously this show. It can be a tough ask sometime of the audience to introduce all these characters in these short amount of time spans only to have to say goodbye to them. Um, but yeah, I really loved her performance. I thought with Riley in particular, obviously she's making this big romantic gesture with this planned date night. Sorry if you hear Hitty in the background. That's my dog. Um and and my interpretation is deep down, Riley wants to be told what she's told by Ellie at the end, which is to stay, but she's too terrified to say that. And instead, the way that she's saying that is is by planning out and thinking out this huge romantic gesture of this planned date night for Ellie and the wonders of the mall that she knows she's going to love. And you, you mentioned it earlier. I did want to take a moment to talk about that big VFX shot of the mall coming to life and... Mason did a great job talking about that on the podcast of just the, the situation that the, the set that they were working with is they actually had a mall that was set for demolition in Canada that they could just do whatever with, but it was like a one story mall that didn't really have the layout that he envisioned or that they wanted for that big, wonderful shot. And I thought it was, it was a very good use of VFX because that certainly I think is one of the iconic moments of the episode is seeing from, from Ellie's vantage point, the mall come to life. And then you can flip to Ellie's face as she just takes in that wonder. I thought that was a great moment and definitely worth the undertaking that it sounds like it was a big undertaking, but I I think it paid off. And look, I criticize some of the VFX early on in the, the season, this was fantastic. I would have never guessed that it was VFX. I it, it looked 100% real. It was a great shot. One of my, one of the I think the lasting kind of images or or shots of this season is just those lights turning on and the big reveal of the mall. Absolutely fantastic. Before she sees all the lights turn on, flat the the flashlight blinking, uh that was a little Easter egg for those that played the game. Uh, you would walk around with your flashlight on every so often. Um, you would need the flashlight would start blinking. And at the time, uh, I guess video game uh, creators thought that shaking the controller was something that was going to become the new big thing. So the only way to fix the Flashlight blinking was to shake the controller back and forth like a steering wheel. Everyone's uh, favorite video game mechanic. <laughs> like if you talk to people, that's the one thing they loved about The Last of Us is when you had to shake that controller. So, to, so this again, this was in the, on the PlayStation Three when this game initially came out. So part of it's like whenever, whenever the platform has a specific controller feature, and PlayStation specifically at this point, they were proud of like the the DualShock 3 having motion control. So that that's why that was. They were probably like, uh, I don't know, they could 
shake it when the flashlight turns out. Okay, great. Put that in. Ship it. Um, but yeah, that was some great video gaming done. One moment around this time period of the game story that we don't get is they take the mechanic that we've talked about before, which is throwing a brick or a bottle. And Ellie and Riley have a brick throwing contest where you have to break. There's two cars and they each have assigned one car. And the goal is to break all the windows on the car, which means we they didn't get that. And we still, Jacob, have no bricks or bottles thrown in this entire series. We're seven out of nine episodes into the first season. Um, You're running out of time, bud. We're running out of time. <laughs> brick and bottle watch is, is, is desolate. It's uh, everyone. Everyone is panicked in the street. Uh, about them not having bricks or bottles thrown. You're hanging on by the thread that Ellie was using to sew Joel back together at the end of this episode. We obviously encounter a uh, dead person on their trip to the mall. Um, It's not in the game. It, It was obviously just kind of a very brief scene. The interesting note is there were pills laying beside him. Could those have been pills that Joel had provided uh, did Joel uh, inadvertently help this man commit suicide? I had this note as well. Um, so I was glad to see that you had this on here in this, in the Google doc, because I had the same thought of it, not only the pills, but also, uh, the alcohol. They talked about how this guy probably had to spend every ration card that he had just to get this nice alcohol. Um, and yeah, you wonder if those are, uh, goods that were smuggled into the city by Joel and Tess. So definitely possible. The Fedra versus Fireflies debate then takes place as they're jumping from rooftop to rooftop on the way to the mall. It's an interesting debate. Uh, I think the show did a decent job at... Neither side is wholly good or wholly bad, I think, in this situation. Um, We've obviously run into some really bad... Fedra QZs along the way, but ultimately it's there are positives. There are negatives to both Fedra and fireflies. I think the part that I enjoyed in their conversation as they're going, Ellie and Riley are going back and forth with the talking points of each uh, group that they're with is that they kind of both realize everything they're saying is just propaganda bullshit. And that, Um, they're going to be at odds with one another. They're spreading lies, exaggerations, whatever about one another. It's all probably not true, but you're kind of way too deep at this point to stop anything. But it was a a good attempt by, um, the show, the, the creator, Neil and and Craig to, to kind of further paint. This as not simply black and white. Fedra bad, Fireflies good, whatever it may be, that there's gray area in there for both of them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously the Fireflies have a good, have the better mission statement, right? Yeah. They are trying to fight for a better future. They they want to restore democracy. They want to end a military dictatorship. They want to restore some semblance of society as best they can, however, however possible. But obviously Riley's a bit deluded here with various things she says throughout the episode of like, oh, oh we would never do anything that would endanger uh, civilians or citizens. Like we know that's not true. Uh, Oh, I would, I would never let them throw those pipe bombs at you. Like what from Atlanta? Like that. Okay. That doesn't (laughs) make sense. Uh, Also, I got to say, so Riley talks about this 
this chick that was in her 40s or 50s. I don't know, whatever. She's old. Can we, can we can we throw some respect on Marlene's name here, please? Merle Dandridge is 47 and she is looking great. Okay. You can't just talk bad about her and how old she is. That's that's disrespectful. Between this and uh Ellie last week talking about the couple they run upon as very old, they have a they do not understand what very old looks like. That that's true. That's that's for, that's further evidence for your point last week. I agree. Um, one note that I actually had forgotten until I played this, uh, played the game this weekend. Um, so in the show, uh, Ellie's like, what, that's it. Like there was no weird initiations to become a firefly in the game. Riley actually says something implying that they had her kill, like some sort of infected as part of her initiation. I wondered if it was a clicker or something, but, um, none of that here, apparently just a small note. As we enter the mall, we get our first wonder that Riley did not plan for the escalator scene, which it's one of those things that's similar to when Ellie got into the car in episode three. It's just one of those kind of everyday things that we don't think a lot about, but Ellie being born in the post-apocalyptic world has never experienced electric stairs. I believe is what she calls them. Uh, had never experienced though that before. So it was a fun little scene of watching her walk up and down the escalator and just having that experience of, of something she hasn't seen before. This is what it is so important to have young people in a lot of stories, obviously, but there's just, there's something magical about watching young people experience something for the first time, especially when they have that wonder in their eyes, doubly so for, Someone that never got to experience our world and all the things that we take for granted, like electric stairs, escalators, right? You haven't lived until you've tried walking uh, up a down escalator. Everyone <laughs> knows that. The That brings us to the merry-go-round scene, which, again, I mentioned the cinematography, the lighting, everything about that, the magical horse and a million lights that Ellie uh, called it, basically. Um, which presumably, I didn't write this down, she probably, I don't think she'd experience a merry-go-round either. Uh, definitely not. Judging by her reaction to all that too. So uh, it was it was very interesting. And if I would, I would say if this was your first time experiencing this story, to go back and rewatch this episode, because there's moments throughout where if you know that Ellie is has a crush on Riley basically. There's moments like this that you notice a little bit more. It's not that they made it very subtle. Ellie was very much staring at Riley, but it I think it carries a different kind of weight. And I think in this scene Ellie kind of allows herself to be kind of lost in the moment a little bit. And as Riley's kind of looking up and looking away, Ellie is just full on staring at Riley and um it's the first real sign that Ellie kind of has a crush on Riley. And um, I mean, you mentioned kind of the fear that comes along with that, but it, it was interesting to see these moments throughout, especially, I mean, even as I rewatched it, I was seeing, seeing it more and more. I thought they did a really good job of kind of sprinkling these moments where it's just, I mean, when you have a crush and you're going through the mall with somebody, like you have these awkward moments that, uh, you kind of freak out about whether it's Ellie falling down the stairs into her crush's arms and kind of the, the panic of I'm all right, I'm all right. And, and, and things like that. They did a really good job of kind of having those moments 
and spreading them out through the episode. And, and this was probably the biggest one of them is uh, she just, as I said, just kind of gets lost in the moment and uh, kind of takes it all in as the two of them are riding this merry-go-round. Yeah, I would be, I would be curious when, for people that hadn't played the game, when you realized that, that Ellie had a crush on Riley, uh, I'd say it might be the moment where she's like looking in the, looking at a reflection after that, the Victoria's secret moment. Um, that, that was probably the first big giveaway I would say, but still would be interested to hear people's thoughts. One small note, the carousel music was, uh, like a lullaby cover of, uh, a song from the cure called just like heaven. And obviously for a brief moment, Ellie and Riley were. They, I think at this point, as they took the bottle and were drinking, um, the drinks are becoming a little bit more like liquid courage for Ellie, especially as you take in the fact that uh, she is staring at her crush like this and things like that. I, I would imagine those sips are becoming more and more like that. I, you obviously as well learn um, an important part of the story in this and that Ellie wants her and Riley to run things, but that's not in Riley's future. Riley didn't have a future at the QZ. She, I mean, she did, but it was in the sewer maintenance. So it's not, you can understand why she was uh, maybe looking for alternatives. Uh, if that, if that was her, uh, her end job. Like it's not a great job. Uh, someone's got to do it. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's tough. I wonder if maybe they hadn't gotten bitten here. Uh, maybe Riley could have, uh, been uh, standing watch over Joel as he shoveled shit because we saw him accept a, uh, sewer maintenance assignment at, in the uh, first episode before, uh, leaving. Uh, this is also around the time that we get the Dawn of the Wolf part two posters. This is a great Easter egg from the game. Uh, you first see these posters in Sarah's room in the Austin prologue uh she has these posters and, and it's obviously meant to be kind of like a, a twilight-esque yep. uh movie and in pittsburgh which was the equivalent of kansas city uh ellie remarks that she's seen those posters everywhere and she asked joel about it and uh she asks like oh does she, and joel says he saw it right before the outbreak and ellie asks oh does he totally gutter by the end referring to like the werewolf character on the front and he's like no it's like a stupid teen movie no one no one gets gutted and ellie asks so who dragged you to see it then and joel's like i, I don't know and then they move on because obviously he was not comfortable talking about sarah yet at that point but uh cool little strike from the game then we get to the photo booth sequence um this is again another moment straight from the game even the, bun the the bunny with the shades is the same bunny that's on the photo booth uh, in the game. Though in the game, you have three options when you sit down at the photo booth that you can pick between uh, love, friends, or cool. But I guess this version, the bunny was just locked on cool. Uh, and then one detail from the game is at the end, it's like, oh, do you want to upload your photos to Facebook? And Riley and Hitler are like, what is Facebook? I don't know. Maybe it puts their faces in a book. Um, but obviously in the 2003 version of the apocalypse, that was not around yet. Um, and even a lot of the same poses that they strike for the pictures were poses straight out of the game that like, as, as you were getting ready for the picture, you could like pick between two buttons of like, do you want to do this pose or this pose? And I think one of the, one of the best ones was the scary pose that yeah. they, that they replicate with their fingers out of like, ah, but um, just cool, cool homage to the game. 
Look, I understand it's realistic, but I was really sad when the photos didn't turn out. Um, in the, I believe in the game, the the photos don't even print out. Yep. Uh, so when she kind of reached for him, I was like, oh, we're going to get the photos. I mean, kind of. Uh, it makes sense that 20 years later, <laughs> the, the, the photo booth probably doesn't work. But it still made me sad because I thought for a brief moment that we were going to have these photos of Ellie and Riley. So, but there's there's one that you can kind of see, and they talk about it, and they let her keep it. So who knows? Maybe we'll even see that picture resurface at some point because presumably Ellie hung on to it. Um, she puts she, it she into had, her backpack. I I, yeah. I I know I paid attention to make sure that she kept it afterwards. She puts it into her backpack. Um, brings us to the arcade, which. Another fantastic scene. It's a little bit different, which I'll let you talk about in a second. There is no Mortal Kombat 2 in the game. Having said that, Mortal Kombat 2 is the absolute perfect game for Ellie to love. It fits her personality to a T, and it makes a ton of sense for her to love uh, the fatality scenes and the the finish him and scenes and whatnot. So it was a it was a great choice of a game but that was not in the original dlc and this whole scene is just such a cool homage to the fact that obviously this is a they talk a little bit about this on the official podcast that this is a story based on a video game by people that loved video games and i think that love comes across very clear in this scene uh of the way that sneaking off and skipping school and going to an arcade and being filled with wonder as you, as you play these games with some friends that the way that that made both Neil and Craig feel, I think you could, you could, you could, you get that just from watching this scene. Uh, I love the little detail I talked about in the podcast of how, how uh, granular Mason was with the sound mixing of how, how it, that sound had to feel when you dropped the quarter in and it goes, vroom. Uh, I, I love that little detail. So yeah, this is very different in the game because when you get to the the arcade in the game, uh, it's it doesn't work. And Ellie got her hopes up for a second. And it was like, oh man, I thought I was really going to get to play this. And she goes up to the Mortal Kombat equivalent, which is called the Turning. And this was one of the memorable moments from the game because even though it doesn't work, what Riley has Ellie do is close her eyes. She puts her hands on the controls and says, "This you move with this. This is your punch. This is your block. This is your kick," and you and and basically just describes to Ellie what she sees. And it's a very they do a cool thing where like you're controlling it, but like Riley's describing what you need to do, and you're like, "Oh, you hit back and then punch," and she describes you what happened, and like these two health bars that are on the screen as you're just imagining this, and you're seeing Ellie's face and smiling as she's imagining it. It was such a cool thing that Riley did for Ellie of I, I can't let you experience this, but I'm still going to find a way to make it seem like you're experiencing this great moment for the game. But I also liked this change. The fact that they actually did get to go to an arcade and play the games. And obviously part, part of that was not having to worry about licensing issues as much yep. and being able to get the real mortal Kombat in there. And uh, you know, this being an adaptation of of wanting to show love to video games, it makes sense to actually have video games there that were that were real. Uh, but I, I love this sequence. But I also really loved how they did it in the game. Um, but I think the change makes sense. Yeah, and this is probably the most notable change. 
Um, but I, the scene in the game of Riley explaining to Ellie what's going on in the game is one of my favorite parts about the DLC. This was still really fun, really enjoyable. Ella's reaction when she finally gets to do the fatality finish him uh, combo moves was perfect. <laughs> I loved it. I love seeing that much excitement and joy on her face. But because it's the last of us, impending doom always awaits in this series. And as she is experiencing this joy, we pan out and move over to a different store in the mall in which one soul zombie infected, excuse me, um, wakes up and that would be a good bit of foreshadowing as to uh, what would happen later on. But you just can't have nice things in this series. So I actually totally forgot about the doll shop in the game until I went back and played it this weekend. I actually took a screenshot because there was one in particular that was like, this is like the scariest thing I've seen in the game of just this doll standing there and you're like panning over with your flashlight. She's like T-posing as in in the midst of this like fungal backdrop. And it's just like a really creepy, scary photo. And then they, they put that the doll shop in the game and the infected is there. Riley, I have some notes. Can we check the full mall, please? Can you... Check each shop to make sure there's no infected before you bring the love of your life down here for this big romantic date. Just like, can we do a full suite, please? That's 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 my main note for Riley. Not a great look for Riley, who we find out has been stationed at the mall for some time, but apparently did not think to do a full suite. For- apparently, neither Fedra School nor Firefly University <laughs> taught her how to how to clear an area and check the corners and, and make sure everything's all clear. Anything on this part before we get to some stat stuff? Let's rip our hearts out once again. Part three, I got you. Ellie wins their second game of Mortal Kombat, and Riley shows her how to do a fatality, and Ellie gives Riley the googly eyes. But Riley tries to usher her on to the next part, and Ellie is getting frustrated. What is this? Does she feel the same way or not? Ellie says it's getting late, but Riley says she got her a gift and they keep going. Riley takes Ellie to where she has been staying in the mall, where she reveals the gift, a sequel to her favorite pun book by Will Livingston, no pun intended, volume two, T-O-O. The book with the puns that Ellie has been reading to Joel came from Riley. Things take a turn, however, when Riley or when Ellie finds pipe bombs that Riley had made for the fireflies. Riley makes an empty promise that she would never let the Fireflies use them anywhere near Ellie, and Ellie begins to storm out when Riley drops a pipe bomb of truth. She is leaving. The Fireflies are sending her to Atlanta, and Riley tried to ask Marlene to let Ellie join so they could go together, but Marlene said no, and this is Riley's last night in Boston. Ellie asked Riley why she brought her here, desperately looking for the confirmation that Riley feels the same way that she does. But Riley just says, I wanted to see you and to say goodbye. Ellie storms out, angrily knocking stuff over before eventually turning around. She can't end it like that. Ellie hears screams and she runs to find Riley waiting at a Halloween shop. So you leave me. I think you're dead. 
all of a sudden you're alive and you give me this night, this amazing fucking night, and now you're leaving again forever. Riley explains the real reason she's joining up. She needs a sense of feeling wanted and belonging that she used to have with her family, something Ellie never knew, and that the Fireflies chose her, which is more than she can say for Fedra. I matter to them, Riley says. You mattered to me first, Ellie says. Ellie asks Riley if she's sure about leaving, and Riley says yes. Okay, Ellie says, and I'm not saying it all pissy and shit. You're my best friend, and I'll miss you. One last thing on Riley's agenda. Dancing. They put on Halloween masks and start dancing on the tables to Etta James's cover of Sonny and Cher's I Got You, Babe, before Ellie pulls off her mask and Riley does the same. Don't go, Ellie pleads. Okay, Riley says, and Ellie kisses her. I'm sorry, Ellie says as soon as she breaks away, but Riley smiles. For what? And it's the two best words that Ellie has heard in her whole life. They love each other, and they're overwhelmed with joy. What do we do now, Ellie asks, and we'll figure it out, Riley says. Cruelly, their joy only lasts about 10 seconds because we can't have nice things, and the doll store's infected has showed up, drawn by the music. With Riley's help, Ellie kills it with her switchblade, but not before both of them get bitten. Ellie angrily smashes everything around them as Riley sits, and Riley says they have two options. Option one, they take the easy way out, the gun. Quick and painless, but Riley doesn't like option one. Option two, they fight for every second that they have left with each other. Whether it's two minutes or two days, we don't give that up. I don't want to give that up. We can be all poetic and shit and lose our minds together. Ellie asks what option three is, but there isn't one. Back in the present day, Ellie chooses not to give up on Joel. She frantically ransacks the house until she finds something she can sew Joel's wounds up with. And Ellie returns to Joel, and they look at each other for a moment as their hands interlock. And Ellie begins sewing Joel up, and we see a look of incredible determination on Ellie's face. She is not going to give this up. A lot to unpack in this final section. Let's start off with the revelation of why Riley did all of this. Uh, This is her last night in Boston. She has been assigned to a QZ in Atlanta. And this was the one last hurrah that she had planned for her and Ellie. Uh, it's the one last night they were going to have together, but obviously things at that point were, uh, were not going well. It was, it was, I mean, there, so much of the, this, uh, like section is just heartbreaking, but, uh, just the fact that she is leaving Ellie as we'll kind of mention later, but. For Ellie to have to think Riley's gone, to have her come back, to treat her to this night, only to learn that she's leaving her again forever. It's such a a heartbreaking sequence and moment when you find out that this is it for Riley and Ellie, that Riley's leaving. Yeah, and I said it earlier, but I I think Riley wants 
this to happen all along. And I, I, she wants to know that she has that same sense of belonging here with Ellie. And part of that, again, is these two girls needing to know that they feel the same way about each other, but both being terrified to find out the answer to that. And tiptoeing that line the whole episode and this whole night. Um, and I think it's a little more obvious in the game that this is that that's what Riley wants. But I did I have a slight crafting upgrade here because there was there was one line from the game that I really liked that again I think they could have had here. And when they when they're talking about it and Riley's looking for advice on what to do, and Ellie says, "Look, you, you've you've wanted this since forever, being meaning joining up with the Fireflies. Who am I to stop you?" And Riley says, "The one person that can." I really like that line. I would have liked to see that one make the cut. Glad you added that because I forgot about that line. And I think it would have fit in the show. Uh, it would have made sense. The The two of them have this argument. Ellie storms off. She's done. She's heading back home. She gets just outside the mall uh, doors, stops, and turns back around to go back. Why do we think Ellie turned back to go talk to Riley and and not end it like that. Well, I th- I think it's just that she can't. She doesn't want e- even if she's being crushed, and even if she thinks in this moment, okay, she doesn't feel the same way, and that's awful. I think Ellie is incredibly emotionally mature beyond her years. Like to be crushed like that, especially when you're that young, especially with hormones, especially with the amplified stakes of the whole situation. To be crushed like that and to come back because you don't want that relationship to end on bad terms. I think that shows how wise she is honestly, and how emotionally mature that she really is. But I, I I think it's just that she, she doesn't want that to be the last memory that Riley has of her. She doesn't want that to be the last memory that she has of Riley either. Yeah. It for Ellie, this is kind of the, uh, a make or break moment of, of sorts in that she can't leave it like this, no matter how frustrated she is with, Riley and the fact she's leaving and the fact she joined the Fireflies and just this so much all this information she's gotten tonight she can't end it like this even if this is the last time they're gonna see one another so I think it was just all that I mean that was a it was a long walk from where they were to where she stopped so I'm sure a lot of things were running to her through her mind but I mean, this is still, if we're talking about just kind of her fear of ending up alone, this is still like the one person she has in the QZ right now, and she can't end it like that, basically. So it was um, it was just that moment where you kind of see her almost, maybe not frustrated, but kind of coming to the realization that she has to go back and she has to make this right, that it can't end like that. And during the conversation, when they get back, you kind of mentioned this, but Riley has a desire for a family, a sense of belonging. It's kind of the the big difference between her and Ellie is that Riley had a family at one point. She alluded to it a couple times. She had a mom and dad, and she had this kind of sense of belonging, and Ellie hasn't had that, so she doesn't really understand Riley's desire to have that again, to have that pe- the people around her and the the desire to belong to something. 
but I, I think the line that sticks with me and I wrote it down in my notes, just as you were te- uh, texted it to me, as we were rewatching, you matter to me first is such a, a heartbreaking line in a lot of ways, because that's how, I mean, that's Ellie put it out there. That's how she feels like as much as Riley wants all of this, she's that person to, to Ellie. She's the, the family or the sense of belonging, all that. She is that person to Ellie. So just that line, you mattered to me first, was such a powerful line to deliver in that moment. Yeah, that, that was my favorite new line from this episode, I would say, that we didn't have from the game. Uh, it just, it was, it, was, it, was, it was an oof moment, but it, uh, it was a good oof. Uh, they jump over a Macho Nacho stand to go to uh, Riley's little camp sleeping area, whatever you want to call it, uh, where she'd been staying. Macho Nacho is from the Uncharted series. It's also in the game. That's not where Riley is staying, um, but it there there is a Macho Nacho that you can go by and whatnot. So another little homage. Uh, Uncharted is a Naughty Dog game, so uh, an homage to another game uh, within their family of games, basically. But once we get in there, we find the pipe bombs, which this has kind of been the the divide between Ellie and Riley all night is that they're going not just separate ways, but on diametrically opposed ways that they're enemies to one another now. And this is kind of they talk about it beforehand, but they kind of push it to the back of their mind and they're enjoying this effectively a date night together. But when they get to these pipe bombs it, it comes right back to the front and this is what sparks the, the argument for Riley to tell her to leave. But I mean, it, it's just one of those things that Ellie just can't let it. I don't want to say let it be, but can't get past the point that these are the people her whole life. She's been told are the enemy and the person that she trusts the most, the person that she loves is joining them. Yeah. And it's just, it just sort of breaks the whole immersion of their whole date night of just like like wait a second you're making you're making bombs they're going to be thrown at people like me that are going to kill people uh obviously Ellie's not okay with that and again Riley's a little bit deluded i think of of saying like oh th- these would never go anywhere near civilians it's like remember when Tess almost got blown up in episode 1 and all of Robert's goons got blown up um, they, thankfully they killed Robert's goons and not Tess, but that was very close. And we heard that the fireflies have been blowing shit up that whole week. Uh, so I wonder if, I wonder if those pipelines, pipe bombs were ones made by Riley. Uh, that'd be interesting. The, the pipe bombs that were used to distract Fedra before their plan to sneak Ellie's out. If that was made by Riley, that'd be interesting. Um, certainly you can infer that I think. I did not know that about Macho Nacho uh, or it being an uncharted Easter egg, but yeah. And and then again, I don't know how Riley's planning to have this control over the fireflies as a firefly grunt in Atlanta uh, of what they're going to do in Boston. I don't, I don't think that works that way. Yeah. It's the grunt part that 
She keeps saying, I wouldn't let them do this. I wouldn't let them go near you. We, I, we wouldn't bomb civilians or whatever it is. And it's like, you joined the Fireflies like three weeks ago. I don't think that you have that much sway on things. Especially if you're calling Marlene old. You got to chill it with that <laughs> shit if you're like trying to move up the ranks there. Uh, eventually, after they have this conversation, after they've uh, made up with one another, you get the dancing scene in the masks, which basically is just exactly straight from the game. From the minute they put the masks on um, as they're dancing, it's it's very at the at the it's very close to how it is in the game. Yeah, was gonna, they sort of meld these two different moments. So the, the Halloween yeah. star is not where they're dancing at the end, uh, but. I, I thought they would there's there's sort of like a, a funny fake jump scare moment that happens in the game. I thought they would replicate where you boost Riley into the store and then she unlocks the door and then Ellie has to open it and Riley jumps out with that scary clown mask. But the masks are identical. Uh, yeah. Riley has that exact same clown mask and Ellie puts on the exact same wolf mask. One small detail of video gaming that you do of a, a good use of triangle is Riley makes Ellie roar in the wolf mask and she, you hit triangle and she's like, rawr. And she's like, really? Come on, like fucking roar. And then you have to mash triangle repeatedly over and over again to build up the roar meter as Ellie unleashes a, a, a giant roar. Yeah. I believe actually the dancing is in like an electronics store section, isn't it? Yeah. Something like that where she, she goes to take the Walkman to plug it into like speakers basically, which she does. But yeah. Yeah. And the song to that point is the same as well as from the game. And then we get the kiss, which, again, obviously straight from the game as well. Um, the uh, I think pretty much all the dialogue kind of in that moment is the same, but it's such a such a great moment. We mentioned it at the beginning. It's such a terrific scene, and Bella Ramsey's acting kind of in this moment is so good. There's so many emotions that go through her face in the after she kisses her there's this excitement and then like this embarrassment and fear and then once riley tells her drops the for what line there's just a ton more excitement so and like this 10 15 20 second span she expresses so many emotions and all you see is her face that whole time yeah i did want to insert one slight crafting upgrade here which is they did this a little differently. The Ellie asking her to stay and Riley's response. So in the game, all fireflies have like these dog tags, which is like a firefly pendant, which is another example of collectibles that you find through the game. You find all these different dog tags of past fireflies uh, that you collect over time. And Riley had one. It's sort of like every firefly gets one. And then when Ellie asks Riley to stay, she doesn't even say anything. She just grabs the Firefly pendant, rips it off, and throws it away on the floor. And that and that's when Ellie kisses her. I like that better than Riley just saying okay, but I guess also they haven't really, you know, they hadn't built up the Firefly pendants like you had been collecting it uh, throughout the whole game, for example. But I also feel like you don't really need to do much. Like, you can just be like, oh, here's... They've shown the symbol enough to, like, I feel like people would get it if it's just they had that little dog tag or that pendant on there. I think that would have been a slightly better way to do it. I, I think I slightly preferred how they did that part in the game, but overall uh, still great. The one kind of notable or one of the notable things they didn't have 
in terms of kind of memorable scenes from the game are the water guns in the game there's basic there's a scene where Riley gives Ellie water guns. She actually mentioned water guns uh, when she was talking about what her gift was. It was kind of at that moment that I figured they probably weren't going to do the scene if they were kind of throwing the homage to it there. Uh, I really wish they had. That would be my crafting upgrade for this episode is to have it effectively became a water gun fight as they're kind of running through. Uh, I think it was the, the electronic store, but they're they're running through a, a store where in the game it's a competition of who wins and who gets the other person more wet with their water gun. So I would have loved to have seen that in the, uh, in the show. I understand why it was cut it of kind of all the probably memorable moments. That was the one you could most easily cut. They, they had an homage to it with the water gun line. I was fine with that, but, I would have liked to have seen, I kind of thought wishfully when Riley went behind the counter after their uh, conversation. <laughs> and one more thing, out, water guns. Yeah, she was going to pull out water guns, but I also knew that they were almost certainly going to do the mask. So yeah. I had hoped that would be the uh, case, but alas, that's the one crafting upgrade I have. Another another reason, obviously, it didn't make the cut is like part of why it's in the game is it's a it's a fun subversion of the video game mechanics that you had learned to that point of like okay, well, what if you could do this stealth shooter part, but it's an adorable uh, yeah. contest between two crushes, right? It was just like oh, who can sneak up on the other and get them first with a water gun, that type of thing. But yeah, I I, I think it was fine that it wasn't in there. But I, I texted you, uh, I think after I'd finished playing the fine, I was like okay. Uh, like between water guns, uh, dancing, Halloween store, photo booth, merry-go-round. Uh, how many of these do we get? And we got like pretty much everything except the water guns. That was like the only thing that we didn't get from the game. So they were very, very faithful to the game, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, you said masks, merry-go-round, pun book, photo booth, arcade, water guns, and dancing in a music shop. It was, it, uh, but yeah, the the only thing of those we didn't get like verbatim basically was the water gun. So they, they, that kind of shows how, when I said earlier, this was almost straight from the game. That's just how faithful they stayed to the game in, in this episode. So that was why it, it's one of my favorites. I, I, why I was saying how much I enjoyed it early on after the, uh, the kiss, the dancing, like you said, we can't have nice things. We get the infected. This is another difference between the game. In the game, it is a whole lot of infected, and you're racing through the mall to get away from them and jumping over and sliding under and climbing up and leaping uh, to try to get away from them. It ends in the same fate, but as we've discussed many times, this show has done a much probably more realistic job of the, showing the dangers of the world because this is one infected versus the dozens in the game. And the one infected takes out two people in this encounter. Uh, it again, like I said, shows the danger of the real world, but all it took was, was one of them, one infected against these, uh, I mean, two people who, I mean, they're younger, but they were, equipped for the situation. They knew what they needed to do. And ultimately um, 
it by the the infected bites both of them which leads to Riley's monologue which it is Storm did an incredible job delivering it in this episode um it's obviously the the big moment at the end of the DLC in the DLC you're kind of bouncing back and forth between her monologue and Ellie and Joel and but seeing her delivery of this was fantastic. One of my favorite lines from the game, period, uh, whether it's two minutes or two days, we don't give that up. And that is, as we kind of flash back forward to current day, that's what Ellie's fighting for, is that, that two minutes, that the two days, whatever it ends up being, she's going to fight for that with Joel. Because of everything we said, she doesn't want to, she fears being alone and she, whatever time she has left, she's going to keep fighting to, to have that time with Joel. Yeah. I think this version of the story helped sell that idea for me more of the romantic idea of just fighting for every second you have left with the person that you love, especially for them who had you know, been denying themselves uh, this love out of, out of fear that we talked about. Uh, definitely. I, th- I think it, it, it definitely makes sense why she would suggest that not a great plan in my opinion, not very utilitarian uh, adding two more infected to the world, but obviously it sort of worked out because Ellie ended up being immune, which is great. Um, but it I did want to all poetic and shit. It, po- poetic and lose their minds together and shit. But yeah, so we did actually get a, a mailbag question from our buddy Harrison, which quick plug, we're actually going to be going on his, uh, his podcast, Rewind and Reconsider, and we're going to be reviewing the uh, Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider movie. So that'll be fun. I've never seen it and interested to see how that goes. Um, but he asks, if this is the last that we see of Riley and her fate is off screen slash implied, will you be upset? So this is interesting because I think we were expecting a curveball here. We were expecting a change, mostly because they had hyped up this, not hyped up, but they had teased this moment where Ellie had to hurt someone before. And we were like, huh? Like, I don't, hmm, I don't know what that could be. And I think we, we both sort of assumed that, okay, this maybe they're making a different change here with the way that the dynamic plays out with Riley after they were bitten. Maybe Riley asks her to kill her. Maybe it's something like that. Or maybe Riley does turn and uh, Ellie has to put her down. I think we can infer that maybe that second part is what happened. That obviously Riley turned, Ellie didn't. And maybe survival instinct kicks in and and Ellie has to kill Riley. It, It played out the ending note pretty much exactly how it did in the game. Which is just they both sit there. Riley suggests we wait it out. Let's be all poetic and lose our minds together. And then that's pretty much when the credits roll. It's just they get up and then the music swells and the credits roll and that like that's the end. Um, so I definitely was expecting something different. And they they really just they they gave the same, which is nice because people don't have to see another character die, is which is a nice thing because the show has asked a lot uh, of the audience over these last seven weeks. You've had to say goodbye to Sarah. You've had to say goodbye to Tess. You've had to say goodbye to Bill and Frank, who we don't even know Frank in the game really. And Bill lives in the game as we've talked about before. You have to say goodbye to Henry and Sam, which is maybe the toughest one of all. Um, And, and then you, you go see Tommy and then you leave him after one episode. So it, it, 
obviously Riley doesn't have a good fate. We know that she didn't end up being immune, but we don't know exactly what happened to her. But I am okay with this. I'm. I suppose there's still a chance we see more of what happened, but I wouldn't expect it. I don't know, Jacob, what do you think? I. So it's interesting because Ellie also said previously. I was trying to think. I think it was when they got to Kansas City and Joel asked, like, is that she basically made reference that that wasn't the per- first person she had killed uh, when she shot Brian. Um, I oh, had Brian. A, yeah, I had a super. I, for, I forgot to mention Brian. We had to say goodbye to Brian, too. Yeah, the most heartbreaking one. Um, I had assumed that. That was some type of foreshadowing for the fate of Riley. Like you said, there's a chance it could still come up. I don't know when, uh, but it it very much could still happen. I I have an idea when. We could maybe chat a little bit more in the spoiler section yeah. about that. I'll add that to the agenda. But I am fine with leaving it as it is. It does still leave some questions, like I said, about the 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 point Ellie made and kind of that reference. Maybe, I mean, there are still episodes left. Maybe there's something else that happens along the way, but um, I'm fine with this being, I mean, this is how it happened in the game. You'd be asking a lot, like you said, of the viewer to go through having to watch Riley die on screen yeah. from let's, Ellie. Let's, every day, everybody let's watch Ellie shoot her first love. Yeah. And to do it in this episode within like a 10, 15 minute swing from their first kiss to having to kill her would have been a lot, even for what this show has put people through. So maybe that's why they held off on it and they might do it later. I'm not sure. I'm fine. If this is how it ends, let it be implied how it ends. You can still imply that, I mean, there aren't a lot of ways for Ellie to get out of that situation with how things ended up. So you can still imply things from that. And maybe that's what they meant. And maybe that's where they leave it. And that's you're just supposed to imply that things went south and she had to do whatever to Riley. But I don't know that they will show those two again. I'd be I'd be a little surprised, but I'm fine with it being that way. The another kind of new part that they added as well that uh who tugged at the heartstrings a bit is when they come back to current day ellie finds the thread she races back downstairs and to help joel and they they share a moment where they look each other in the eyes they're holding hands their fingers kind of interlock certainly not in the game when um when she is helping Joel in the mall, he's unconscious the whole time. So there is simply no interaction between them. So that was new. And God, that moment was, it's a, it was a great addition that they made. Yeah, so choosing to not choosing to have Joel be more conscious during this stretch gave, uh, Obviously, there's two main changes. So at the start, Joel urging Ellie to to leave him, leave me to die, go find Tommy. Um, he didn't say leave me to die, but just that that's what he meant, right? And this other moment where 
no words are exchanged at all. And it's just such a, I, I melted when they, when they interlocked hands and you could see Joel's grip tightening around her hand. I was like, oh. um, and then the music swells and the music kicks in with that left behind theme. And Ellie's, uh, look of determination uh, was a great moment to in the episode on. I, I, I definitely liked and it sounded like they got a lot of this feedback from HBO, which again, this is the second time that they brought up good creative feedback from executives at HBO of sandwiching this episode more with Joel and Ellie yeah. and anchoring it in that um Hey HBO, yeah, sorry, we're we're ca- we're caving again to the people that obviously the the people are demanding that they hire us. But <laughs> uh, but it, it's 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 nice it's nice to hear these examples from creators of like a network or 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 pro- whatever you call HBO, uh, actually having a positive influence on the creative decision because so often we hear about it the other way. So it's 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 just it's sort of nice and refreshing to hear them give those examples. Ellie's face in that final scene is it's a determination. It's a, it was a lot of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I have to do something is kind of how I interpreted it. (laughs) She's, she's stitching Joel back together. Did literally nothing beforehand to clean that wound, to do anything like that. uh, That's what I was going to say. So she didn't wash it out. She didn't sterilize the needle. So that potentially could be an issue. But yeah, she had to do something. Yeah, that looked like it hurt. So I don't I, ever want to have to have that done. I, I I do not want my stomach operated on in a garage or wherever they are by a fourteen year old girl. I was gonna say I was wincing as uh, as Joel was getting stitched back together. Let's do some awards for this week. Woo. Uh Last week, there wasn't a lot to choose from in this category. This week, what was your video gaming moment of the week? Ooh, so obviously they did some literal video gaming. Yes. So I I feel like that is probably the answer with the Mortal Kombat-ing. Yeah, I'd say that's the answer. It's, It's Riley and Ellie... Uh, actually Mortal Kombating, knowing the secret move to get a vitality, which they talked about in the podcast, they probably could have theoretically picked it up from like video game magazines, which were still popular in the early 2000s. Love that detail that they've even thought about that and that type of thing. But yeah, that would be my pick. I went with Ellie looting in the house at the end, mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. going through drawers and cabinets and shelves and everything to find the needle and thread to sew Joel back together the baby girl moment of the week there's so one thing real quick on that just to touch to to lend you inside the mind of a last of us video game player that is one thing that's kind of soul crushing about the higher difficulties is like that that means like 85 percent of the drawers you open are just empty it's like oh fuck oh fuck uh that's one of the least satisfying parts of the higher difficulties and obviously if you're on a lower difficulty you find more stuff easier Joel, or uh, excuse me, Ellie was on the highest difficulty as she was looting through that house. Was she though? Because she still she still found the sewing kit in the house that they were in, as opposed to having to like go to a mall and take <laughs> out like twenty dudes and infected, uh, and then get back to Joel. <laughs> Climb in a helicopter to get a uh, 
yeah. to get a med kit. Fair enough. The baby girl moment of the week. Again, a lot to choose from in this one. You go first. Well, I had two answers, so I was going to do the one that you didn't. I will say then, I'll go with Riley's speech. Um, That was so well delivered. I think it was pretty much verbatim what she said in the game. And like I said, the line of uh, whether it's two hours or two days, we fight or we don't give that up. Two minutes or two days, we don't give that up. Rewatching it, I still got teared up. Uh, terrific job from Storm and that man. That one really tugs at the heartstrings. Yeah, I'll go with that, and then I'll also just go, go the moment of like turning the mall on. I think they they did it in a more dramatic and and a little bit better of a way in the show, but. Just that moment of flipping the lights on and and Riley showing Ellie the mall and the wonder of that moment. Uh, I'll I'll give the 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 honorary shout out to that. Best change. A couple different ways you could go here, Jacob. Where are you going? I'll go with Joel and Ellie's hand holding at the mm-hmm. very end. Uh, like I just said, <laughs> melted. Um, it wasn't something we got in the game. I'm glad that they had Joel conscious in this episode and I'm glad that we got that moment. Yeah, I think that's probably my answer. I'll, I'll get, we talked about it again, but the Ellie Ellie's retort to Riley of saying you mattered to me first. I thought that was a really strong addition in terms of the, uh, the lines that they said to each other. Your MVP of the week is. Hmm. This one's tough. Um, I guess I'll, pro- I'll pro- I'd probably Bella Ramsey. I would say, um, you just—it's—it's it's such an important episode for Ellie, and I thought Bella crushed it. I wrote down Bella as well. Storm Reed did phenomenal. I just mentioned the the monologue she gave at the end. We talked at the beginning about having to have playing or er, being alongside Ellie in a a show, a game, whatever it is, is. It's not easy, and she did a phenomenal job of it throughout the episode. So, obviously, the two of them were predominantly featured. They both deserve plaudits for this terrific episode from both of them. Anything uh, Anything you want to say before we start to transition over to the uh, Beyond the Quarantine Zone? A, again, I said this at the beginning, I'm... I'm a, I was excited for this episode and really glad it delivered. It was the DLC was a lot of fun and them staying as true to the game as they did and still the subtle changes they made along the way and whatnot. I feel like we repeat ourselves a lot, but they, they nail so much about this that another terrific episode this week. Folks, we have two episodes left. And they're both clear, like we know what's coming for the most part, chapters of the game that are very iconic. I've We feel pretty confident these next two weeks are going to be bangers. So super excited to have you all back here. Thank you so much to everyone that's been listening to the podcast. Again, we, we continue to be 
uh, grateful the fact that we're, we're getting more listeners each week. And that's so cool. Again, it's nothing crazy, but it's just so cool to, to see just that people are coming back each week and that more people are finding us each week. And again, we need five-star reviews, especially on iTunes to help more people see us because of the algorithm. So please do that. Again, thank you to Big Larry for those really kind words before. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at TLOUNerds. We need more mailbag questions. Make sure you can you can send those on Twitter or you can email us, TLOUNerds at gmail.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone that continues to listen to this uh, podcast. We're, we're truly grateful for you. And with that said, we are going to exit the quarantine zone. If you do not want any spoilers from both The Last of Us Part 1 and The Last of Us Part 2, please leave now. We will see you next week. We love you. We are going to be fully unleashed with full speculation and spoiler talk, given our plot details and knowledge of both video games about what to expect going forward. Three, two, one. Are you gone? They're gone. Okay. So one quick note on the, the Riley thing, we could maybe see it as like a Marlene flashback, essentially of like what happened as she found Ellie. Cause I, I'm pretty confident we're going to get Ashley Johnson in the finale as like a big Marlene flashback. And they're going to do a really interesting job. I think of, comparing and contrasting Marlene versus Joel and the ways that they both arrive to both of their controversial decisions. Riley's obviously to not give Ellie a choice and to, to try and make the vaccine. And then Joel's choice, obviously to stop that <laughs> and, and take Ellie out. Um, but that, that is, that, that is the one scenario. Maybe we get a flashback of what happened with that and then how Marlene happens upon Riley. Yeah. I was going to say or, like, and Ellie. Yeah. That makes sense because there still is, something to be told about how Ellie ends up handcuffed in a room that Marlene is ready to take her away. Um, so that would make sense. I, yeah, and you mentioned, I, I fully expected Ashley Johnson would be, appear this week coming into this week and kind of forgot about it until well after the episode. So that still, that still has to happen, which means there is some Ellie backstory that still has to come. Uh, so the, I guess that's still on the table. God, that will be absolutely heartbreaking if we have to see Ellie. I mean, I guess if, well, I was gonna say if Marlene finds them, then like, maybe it's not Ellie who has to kill her, but it's still going to be. Absolutely. I think we can infer that it was right again, because well, of that. I mean, if Marlene like stumbles upon them and Marlene's the one that has to kill Riley instead of Ellie, maybe. But then when was Ellie's first time hurting someone that she talks about? I don't know. I just don't want Ellie to kill her. I'm trying to figure out ways to to not have Uh, Ellie. Bad news. Uh, I I think that's what happened. But (laughs) next week, we are getting winter, which is such an iconic stretch of the game. We're getting David. We're getting cannibals. He's going to be creepy. Uh, From the trailer, you can tell he, he has like a... Oh, like a like a, it seems like a Fargo accent, basically, <laughs> or like maybe it's Minnesota and maybe it's North Dakota. And I don't know. But um, an interesting choice, I, th- I think, for David, uh, we're getting Troy Baker as James, a.k.a. Buddy Boy. I hope Ellie calls him Buddy Boy. That would that would make me happy. <laughs> um, and then obviously some some big moments we're expecting. We're expecting Joel to. I think we're expecting Joel to be badass and very uh, savagely uh, get the information out of some David grunts and then go find Ellie. And Oh, dude, did you, you saw the shot of the, um, the, the, the restaurant on fire, uh, which is straight out of the game. That's going to be 
so cool of that Ellie David boss fight, basically. And then we're getting baby girl. The moment where Joel finds Ellie and calls her baby girl and hugs literally her and tells the, her everything's going to be okay. Literally the baby girl moment. I, the moment spoiler of, alert, it's going to, it's going to be the baby girl award winner. <laughs> I can tell you what next week's baby girl moment is going to be. Um, Ellie defeating David in the game is such this emotional moment that every emotional moment from the game in the show has been like 10 times more emotional. So oh, next week is, uh, I I expect to be very much crying at the end of the episode, which I mean, like, that's a regular at this point. You're just going to be crying at the end of a Last of Us episode. So it's going to be at the start, at the middle, at the end. Mm-hmm. I am. I am excited. I really I know that they have done a great job of making. Making the world more dangerous and kind of making Joel less of like this superhero badass that can do anything as he is in the game give us this moment. <laughs> no, I, that's the thing. I think they're setting it up for, for this. And then I think they're setting it up for how absolutely ham he's going to go in the hospital. Yeah. He is going to mow people down in the hospital, I think. Uh, and it's, it's going to be like a shocking, it, it, I think they're intending for it to be like a shocking and like almost upsetting moment. Um, and obviously it's going to be a controversial moment and interest interested to see uh, how it plays out. And then people's reactions to it, obviously. Um, Okay, so a, a couple notes of the episode. The pipe bombs, that's uh, something you can craft as Abby in part two, which uh, is unique to Abby that you can't do anywhere. So uh, one, maybe uh, maybe Riley and Abby ha- have, some, uh, have some common crafting recipes. Uh, is it a dinosaur? Ellie asks to Riley regarding her gift, uh, which actually was in the game. I didn't remember it, and I don't think I had played Left Behind since I had played Part Two until this weekend. Um, and I, Ellie, Ellie asked the same thing of the of like it's oh the secret or where we're going. Like oh is it a dinosaur? Um, and obviously that pays off in a big way in Part Two when Joel takes her to the uh, museum that has the dinosaurs as well. Uh, there were I didn't even want to draw attention to this really uh, in the non-spoiler part, but there, yeah, dinosaur drawings and posters on the wall in Ellie's room. That was cool. Yeah, I saw it, and then I started to write it down. And I was like, "Oh, that one." No, it, no way to talk about that without. Well, and it was like that means absolutely nothing to people yeah. who haven't played the game. Uh, yeah. I was very excited. I had that in my notes, so I'm glad that you wrote it down. We had Pearl Jam introduced in this episode. Um, the what. I don't know. I think we've discussed this via text. Do we think that future days is going to be in this? I don't see there's any way that there is like literally the only way they could have future days in part two is if they're just like, if they just ignored the timetable completely, which I don't think they'll do. I don't don't think they'll do though. Knowing Neil and Craig, Uh, I, 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 my honest take is this had to be like item number one that Neil probably would have brought up with the time change. And I don't think they would have done that if they didn't have another song ready to go. Um, so I, I think it's just going to be a different song. Man, I, I, for the record, I mean, we're so far away before this ever mattering. Uh, I am pro them saying screw timelines and putting it in there. Or just say that Joel wrote the song for Ellie. I don't <laughs> yeah, just, yeah I, Joel Joel is actually a songwriting legend. <laughs> I just want man, that song is so perfect for 
the moment, the situation. I just need it in there. We also obviously got Take On Me at the Escalator, which uh, Ashley Johnson's version is 10 out of 10. Uh, I Every time I hear that song, I have to go then listen to it from the game because I love it so much. But I was very happy and excited when we got that in the uh, episode. Well, and this is the perfect scenario for like the original version of the, uh, and obviously totally different in tone and upbeat and, um, you know, uh, yeah, at the start of this date night between these two girls and Ellie being amazed by something she finds, it it fits so perfectly in the moment. So, uh, I I yeah, I really liked it. It would be it's it'll be interesting if they have that scene in the second season, because. That would mean the only two times we heard the song is when she's with Riley and then when she's with Dina. So it would be a very interesting through. Well, and also it would make sense that that's like a song she would want to learn to play on guitar because she she had had that tape from so long ago uh, and mm-hmm. she had had it on a Rockman. She uh, she knew the song. Yeah. So yeah, when I saw the the cassette tape, the Aha cassette tape, I also was excited because uh, hopefully, as you said, that means it she is learning that song on the guitar. I think that pretty much does it. Anything you want to talk about before we say goodbye? No, that is, there was, uh, these, these next two weeks, as you said, are going to be phenomenal. I, man, I cannot wait to watch them and it is going to be, uh, quite the next two weeks to say the least. Oh, bunny murder. We talked about it before. Do we think we're going to get a bunny murder? Uh, probably not. I probably not. Okay. I, I wouldn't put it past this show, but they might introduce the bunny first and get you all excited to love them and then kill them. But, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, oh, I, I can't imagine they're going to open an episode killing a bunny. So that is my rationale. I, don't, I mean, I, they've been pretty ruthless. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But that, uh, I can't think of that bunny moment without the without that one yep. streamer girl. That's the cutest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. And then immediately <laughs> killed. Yes, exactly. So to, anyway, if you haven't seen that clip, look it up. Um, cool. Okay, I think that pretty much does it. I appreciate, as Tom said, we appreciate all you guys for all the support you've given us. Follow us on Twitter, TLOU Nerds. Uh, leave a rating, review, all that great stuff. We already said that a couple times. I won't. I won't tell you all again. It, it it blows us away how much you guys have supported us. So we'll be back next week to talk about uh, the actual baby girl moment itself and, and everything that's going to entail with that. So until next week, for Tom, this is Jacob signing off. Have a great one, everybody.